This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au. It is just quite incredible that we're having this conversation. feels like 1951, I know. the way we're talking. I know. What is incredible is, this, so this is supposed to be the world's greatest democracy, best practice democracy. Thank you for taking away a right. Thank you, Supreme Court, for taking away an individual's right. Jordan Goey himself hasn't accepted really responsibility for the trouble he's caused and what he's done. Given his history, his history with women, his history with behaving badly overseas, it's just extraordinary that he's done it again. I think at the heart of this movie there are two things that work for me. One is the amazing, amazing performance by Austin Butler, who plays Elvis Presley. He is a profoundly important talent. He is not just a one-trick pony. There were tables and tables of blokes' dinners. Do you remember Vlados used to be that? The yes. Blo- the blokes' restaurant, because they could all go there and have a big steak. Oh. They were big men. And the, the entree was and liver they and... drank big wine. The entree was liver and sausage, and the pudding was some... Was it strawberry pancakes? I reckon it was. <laughs> I think it's still going. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello, everybody. It's Corey Perkin and Caroline Wilson bringing Don't Shoot the Messenger to you for the 224th time, Caro. Welcome back, Corey. It's great to see you in the flesh. It's lovely to be in the studio as much as I enjoyed my two weeks in Ballarat. Miss Jane and I do love a live recording, don't we, Jane, in person? Yes, but you survive the kids. That's more important. <laughs> Try, trying to get that down the line stuff. And we're a bit over Zoom, but look, here we are. And it is a lovely, cold, but crisp, beautiful, clear Melbourne winter morning. And it's almost the end of the financial year. And I don't know, we're heading toward the longest day of the year now, Caro. So we're counting that down till summer. Anything else that we can look it's forward to? It's a long to? way off, Corrie. So what you crept out of your second family home under the cover of darkness at dawn this morning. I did. It was funny because the kids arrived. My daughter, Francesca, and her husband, Charlie, arrived home last night. And at four o'clock in Ballarat, I thought, oh, look, I can't go back to sleep. I may as well get as up and have a cup of tea. in 4 a.m.? Yeah, 4 a.m. I may as well have a cup of tea, sneaking around the house quietly, quietly going to the bathroom, quietly into the kitchen. And they're both there having peanut butter toast and making coffee going, we have jet lag. We can't sleep. <laughs> of course. So Checker brought her cup of coffee back to my bed. I had my cup of tea and we sat and chatted about her trip, which was lovely. And I did sneak out before the babies woke up, but I gather that they've been asking, where's Mopsy, where's she gone? I think they must think I now live there as the servant. Well, I'm sure you've been more than a servant. I'm sure it's been a wonderful experience and I'm sure you're looking forward to your own bed. I am indeed. And Carol, we have a wonderful episode today because there's a lot, apart from the fact that we're in person again, we have lots to discuss, including the US Supreme Court's decision to... uh, overturn Roe v. Wade, which means uh, the constitutional right of American women to have an abortion has been overturned in the courts, Uh, although it is up to the states. So we'll talk about that in a little while. You have a movie and I also have a movie. I'm very excited about my movie. And I have just finished a really lovely book 
Very easy book to read, but a lot of fun on the sister of Christian Dior, the fashion designer. You have a recipe. It says here Brussels sprouts. I can't get excited about Brussels sprouts. Well, you should get excited, particularly with the cost of lettuce and beans at the moment. You should be buying Brussels sprouts. <laughs> but before we move into a fairly depressing topic, which I think I think it probably is to be brutal, although fascinating what's going on in America, can we just talk about our own backyards? I was out and about in Melbourne on the weekend, and I assume you were out and about in Ballarat when the rain stopped. I cannot believe the amount of people out and about. I, I went, um, I got a bit early on Sunday, um, had a walk with my son who um, is living with me for a few days before he moves overseas and we had a lovely morning and then I went and did the offsiders on the ABC and then I made the rookie error of taking my youngest daughter out for breakfast. Try and get a spot around 11 o'clock on Sunday morning in Melbourne and I know smashed avo, I know, I know it's all a cliche, but it was a rainy morning. We were going to go to a local market at Alfington. We thought, nah, we'll go out for breakfast. We went to three or four different places. The queues went for blocks, blocks. So we went to a, a lovely little place called Faraday's Cage in the end in Fitzroy, which is normally only half full. Well, we had to wait for 15 minutes for a table there. Everybody is packed into places to eat. And it's the same over the other side of the Yarra. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? It's it's like it's as though we've broken out of lockdown and we've gone back to brunch. Although interestingly, I was listening to a podcast, Fee and Jane again, as usual. Fortunately, with Fee and Jane, they were talking about brunch. Are they fans of brunch or not? I am not a fan of brunch or breakfast out. I much prefer to do lunch or dinner. But it is extraordinary. Cara Ballarat was the same. Every coffee shop on Saturday and Sunday morning was full. Uh, we went to the farmer's market. That was packed on Saturday morning. Sovereign Hill on Saturday night was the launch of Winter Wonderlights. Yep. If you've never done it, everybody, just do it maybe once. Oh, I think the Sound and Light Show there is incredible. Oh, no, this is – well, this is not the Sound and Light – the Sound and Light Show is great. I agree. This is a f- an unusual concept. It's you at five thirty or quarter to six, I think it is. They turn on the snow machine, so all of the all of the a, a lot of most of the buildings have fairy lights on them, which certainly yep. weren't around in the eighteen sixties. The gold fields at Ballarat, I can tell you, there wasn't a fairy light invented. But anyway, it's all lit up. Then there's a little trombone band playing Christmas carols. So that in itself is a bit weird because you are in June, but you go with it. The little kids were so excited by this. And then at quarter to six, these snow machines that are placed on top of the buildings in the main street of Sovereign Hill start whooshing out snow and it starts snowing. So you're walking down the main street of a mock 1860s goldfields town with fake snow and Christmas carols and it's a weird, wild kind of odd experience. Well, it's the old, you know, Christmas in July idea, isn't it? Or, or winter Christmas. Well, Channel, Channel 9 News actually went there on Monday and well, covered it. It's, it's just like it's Ballarat, Ballarat, Ballarat becomes Lapland, you know, the far, home of Father Christmas. But well, it's, it's so funny enough. then the, the kids, are, the kids, we then get takeaway pizza from home delivered from the wonderful Eureka. We're in beanies and coats. We get home, watch the footy, glass of red wine. It was just so weird. But Fun, fun as. So I have the videos of the little girls, especially Max and Florence were freezing cold. They just sat there like Michelin babies in their prams. But the little girls were 
so sparked up. Carol, it was like Burke Street on Christmas Eve. You could not move. We were shuffling. Will had one pram, I had the other. We were hardly even moving. It took us about half an hour to get out of <laughs> Everybody in Ballarat went to the Winter Wonderlights. Anyway, Winter Wonderlights, if you go onto the website, either the Ballarat um, City Council homepage or the Sovereign Hill, it'll tell you all about it. But quarter to six, the snow falls. So be there. Well, that's a great recommendation. Probably won't get there this year, but maybe next year. And I agree that despite the fact, you know, we keep saying people aren't turning up in the footy in the numbers they used to, they're certainly turning up everywhere else. So hopefully back at the footy too when those crowds are improving. So Friday night, Corrie, um, I was up and it was like the shot that rang around the world, wasn't it, when the news broke about the Supreme Court decision, the um, Supreme Court that was um, restacked as Donald Trump's sort of parting gift to humanity um, with um, an extra right-wing conservative. I mean, it's just extraordinary to think of the ramifications this decision um, has already had. I think nine states have already changed their laws. Twelve. It's gone to 12 now, sorry. Twelve overnight. The, the, The divisions between Wall Street and the Supreme Court as a result, the fear that what is this going to mean, for example, for same-sex marriage? Uh, what's it going to mean for the economy? What's it going to mean for... Because, I mean, let's face it, they're only making legal abortions illegal, not illegal abortions. So it's only going to damage the safety, really, of this procedure in so many states. Will women be allowed to move states or go to other states to have terminations. It, it is just quite incredible that we're having this conversation in well, uh, what 2021. Is all, what is also incredible is it's 2022. Sorry. <laughs> it, you know what? It feels like 1951, I the know. way we're talking. I know. But uh, what is incredible is, is, so this is supposed to be the world's greatest democracy, best practice democracy. Thank you for taking away a right. Thank you, Supreme Court, for taking away an individual's right. Half the population of of the United States, Caro, has lost one of its civic rights. This came into, as people probably know all this, but this came out, the reason it's called Roe v. Wade was um, it was a case brought by Norma McCorvey, who was, who they, who, who legal pseudonym at the time was Jane Rowe Jane because Rowe, they didn't want to know who she was. Yeah. And it was 1969. She became pregnant with her third child and she lived in Texas. She wanted an abortion. Obviously, it was illegal. Her attorneys went, filed a, filed a lawsuit and the Supreme, it went all the way to the Supreme Court um, and the local district attorney, Henry Wade, took it on board and he lost and she won and it became part of the Constitution, the right to have an abortion. This has now been overthrown. As we said earlier, individual states can make up their own legislation. So, of course, if you lived in California, New York, Vermont and so on, that's okay. Illinois, you're fine. If you're in Texas, bad luck. Overnight, you lost your rights. Georgia, Florida and a handful of those states, Arizona, are still probably going to go the way of... Oklahoma. They're going the way of, of, of banning it. So... If we think about this, if you're wealthy enough or if you're middle class or you can get a ticket out of Texas to go into state, you have to book in for an abortion at another state. But if you are not of the financial means to be able to do this, if you don't know how the other states work, how to find an abortion, you're stuck. So if you're 14 years of age and your uncle has raped you or you are a victim of a pack rape or you have an unwanted pregnancy with your 
boyfriend or your husband, or maybe it's your sixth child and you can't afford it, or maybe you're a single mother, whatever your circumstance, you're stuck. Now, tell me that this is good for society, that, <laughs> that uh, you know, whether you're pro-choice or pro-life, there is just, there, there has to be the right of women to make the decision about their circumstances, their bodies, their financial position, do they have family support? Do they have a partner support? Where are the men? Why aren't the if we're stripping women of their rights? Why aren't we then saying, okay, men, you now have to all all men have to stand by their by the women financially, emotionally, morally, stand by those kids? Nah, the men disappear, and the woman is left with a child that she perhaps didn't want. Oh, Not that look- she doesn't love it in the end, but that she perhaps lost the choice and the government decided, the court decided that she had to have this child. It's so wrong. No, it's look, so it, it's wrong. extraordinary. And I, I think it, it wasn't the shock that some people, because we saw this coming. I mean, it's obviously been coming for a few months and just extraordinary, the stuff that Donald Trump himself has been tweeting. Um, Joe Biden has been completely, you know, most world leaders have come out and been incredibly scathing about the decision. I guess nothing will change now until the Supreme Court changes, well, to be brutal. Well, that's right. But uh, Donald Trump was able to, in his time, he was able to put three, nominate three and put on the on the bench Three Supreme Court judges. That's all Mitch McConnell wanted. He just used Donald Trump for that. And once they had Amy Conan, um, what's her name? Amy Conan Barrett, whatever her name is. Um, what was interesting also is Brett Kavanaugh lied completely when he had off-the-record discussions with Susan Rice, who's a Republican, just before he was, his nomination went through and she supported it. She said, look, I really want to know where you stand on Roe v. Wade. And he said he basically supported it. Not anymore. It is an incredible story, Carol, and it has ramifications not only for the women of America, but also, as you said earlier, for people who may be looking at, um, who may be fearing other civil rights that might be stripped of, they might back down, the Supreme Court might back down on um, gay marriage. Yeah, we said earlier, I know. it's, It's terrifying and I have no interest in going to America nor do I have any interest in going there for a very long time. It was always a fabulous place place to travel to, but it's, they're behaving. I mean, it's almost an insult to a third world country to call them that. But um, what, what, I mean, and I know a decision, there was a a sort of, a sort of decision finally on a few more restrictions on gun ownership, but it's just, it's not a good place. It's not a good place. And it's just um, really, really sad that you can have a democratic government now having come in completely powerless to overturn this. So if I have an unwanted pregnancy I can't, I, and I'm in a certain state, I, I break the law if I have an abortion. Yet if I'm 18, I can walk into a gun shop, pick up, pick up a semi-automatic rifle and go back to my old school with a bit of a grievance and a chip on my shoulder and shoot 10 kids and four teachers dead. I'm Absolutely. allowed to do that. Completely. I know. I know. It, look, it, it's a... It's a scary thought. It's going to be interesting. You know, the, the midterms are in November. So these are the like half Senate elections, if you like. I can't think of a better Australian, better Australian analogy than that. But the midterms are in November. And Joe Biden and his uh, Congress are hanging on with, with um, oh gosh, by the barest of fingernails. This may sway voters toward the Democrats. I'm not sure. 
But um, yes, it, as you say, it's not a place that we would necessarily be wanting to visit right now. Um, Caro, I just, I just think that um, I, I'm just watching the, the outcry and, and the outpouring from men and women. Well, dare I say the violence, because there have been some violent demonstrations and there's horrible confrontations between pro-lifers and, um, and abortion campaigners. It's just, it's been, well, it's an ugly place to be, as I said, right now. It's awful. So anyway, watch this space, everyone. See what happens over the next few weeks, few months. But yes, um, it's been a big news story for the women of the world. I think we just need to have a drink at that point. (laughs) Where's Miles, Jane? Bring him in. Here comes Jane with the trolley and Miles is sitting on top of it with two (laughs) bottles, one in either hand. What have you got in your hands there, Miles? I have a vermouth and an Amaro. I thought we'd talk about both because they're kind of similar. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store, the sponsors of one of the sponsors of our little podcast, and we are delighted to have you here each week. So let's get vermouthing, Caro. Which one do you want to try, Corrie? I'll go the. I say vermouth. I say vermouth too, but I mean Miles says vermouth. Showy off so you people say. Miles, sorry, Miles, but showy off you people okay. say vermouth. Yep, that's true. I think true. vermouth is American, isn't it? Probably. Yes, We're very anti-American here today. Oh, All oh, your no, bottles so are so terrible. attractive, Miles. What's going on over there? So oh. tell, tell us about the that's vermouth. Why we, that's why we need a drink, can I tell you? Oh. It's a vermouth rosso and it comes from Etna. Yeah, so both Italy. of these come from Etna, which is interesting, but I thought it was a nice boom, little... Boom. Yeah. <laughs> Up goes the volcano. Yeah, well, I think it erupted a couple yeah, of weeks long. ago. Yeah, it's, it bubbles along there. Yeah. The which sound is amazing. of me grappling with a very pretty core. <laughs> And it says it's from Etna with love, this With love, yeah. So t- Tanuta Aglaia, and um, this is really new for them. Okay, they, okay, okay, Caro. <laughs> so you just decided to make – so this is a, this is a Rosso vermouth. Um, Caro's just poured me a bucket full here. I have not, Corrie. Mainly white wine, but a, a little bit of red and Norella Mascalese, which is the grape that you see, the main grape that you see out of Sicily. So that's what kind of gives it its colour. And usually the kind of caramelised sugars that they put in it give it a bit of that colour. That has like a ginger smell. Yeah, there you so, go, Miss Jane. Oh, thank you. Can you smell? It's like ginger beer. Have a smell of that. Would you like one, Miles? I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I've had them before. But that reminds me of a, a vermouth and dry is with dry ginger. Yeah, it would probably, but, but a vermouth and dry would probably be with like a, a dry vermouth or a white vermouth, whereas this, this is this a has, red vermouth. So this is like something you'd put in a Negroni can you, can or a Manhattan or something like that. Yeah, I can a bit. So yep. lots of different herbs. I don't know everything that's in there. And, and often when you look at vermouth producers and Amara producers, they'll only tell you a little bit of what they put in there. Wow, their, their recipes are kind of secret. But the, one of the main herbs is the uh, absinthe herb in there. So, so bittering herbs, aromatic herbs, things like that. Vermouth, certainly in Italy, I don't know if it's the rest of the world follows the same rules, but it has to be about 75% wine. So it's a wine-based yep. thing, a little bit fortified. It's a lot sweeter than a lot of the white um, vermouth. Yeah, the ver- whites tend to be a bit drier. Yep. The rosso may be a little bit sweeter and richer. The Norella Mascalese, it's, a, it's got a bit of tannin, that variety, so it gives it a little bit of grip, but what's delicious the, stuff. So what's the, what's the last taste there? The, like the, you said, It's know. like a scratchy... Um, well, yeah, so so because I it's got a little bit of the red varietal in it, it has tannin in it, and that yeah. tannin gives you that sort of that drying. Be, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, I'd drink that on nice. its own as an aperitif. Yeah, I th- look, that's what we've sort of oh moved. Oh, my God. You know, these days, you know, it used to be a sort of cocktail thing, and obviously, you know, coming out of Italy, like they'll drink it at certain times, usually before the meal or in the afternoon is really nice on some ice. 
with a bit of orange wedge rind, of citrus maybe. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, can see, I can see that in the flask. A couple of shots on ice. The flask in the go- around the golf course when it's 10 oh, degrees. Oh, 100%. And how much is this a bottle, Miles? Oh, I, I forgot to find <laughs> I think it's about $36, something I, like that. I have the feeling of Christmas not, cake or Christmas crazy. pudding here. Yeah, they of, you often get that with those... Um, it's a slightly drier version of, of a, maybe a, a Lillet Rouge as well. Just a, certainly not Definitely sweet. in that sort of category. Yep. It's in that sort of aromatised wine category, which is, um, you looked at which me is what these generally sort of... Purely when I said it was Christmas cake. Can't you taste that? Yeah, no, I, it, it's definitely got a touch of that. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Lillet Rouge. I'm thinking that is a sort of drink it would be wasted in a Negroni to use such a good um, red vermouth or vermouth ross. So I'd be well, you know, if you've got all good own. ingredients. That's true. That's it's true. All good. And and yeah. Remember I, I, what Miles says always about cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Put in right. a good bottle. Yep. Yep. Although but it's I, great this category because, like you said, you could easily drink it on its own. I've I finally bought, bought your um, mixed dozen, as you oh, know, yeah. last week. It's been fabulous. It's been I good. Haven't, haven't got through it yet, quite yet. That's right. It's a dozen but, wines. So. But um. The, I didn't want to use um, one of the whites when I was making my Elsa Buco yet again, so I used a, a cheaper white wine. But um, the white there was a the white, there was one from Spain that is absolutely beautiful. Anyway, the whole lot. No, no, there's a it's called a a a, a, a Sauvignon, I think it was, yeah. and it was absolutely delicious. Oh, good. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, lots of good sort of the June mixed dozen, which is just and, still available. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely worth picking up, Corrie. What's the other bottle? So the other bottle is, is I'll called show you, Citrange. <laughs> we get to try this. <laughs> also from Etna, from a producer that owns a, a wine company called Pietro Dolce. And this is his other little company. Um, and it's there's two. There's a lemon and a mandarin. And this is the mandarin. This is probably the most popular one. This is the one that... Miss Jane, really would like. you like to? Oh, you've got your own glass. I was going to say, would you like some of mine? Here, Corey, I'll Jane's pour you a tiny bit. Janie's knocked back her vermouth already. This, she <laughs> had a lot less than you did, Corey. In fairness, so this is. Um, so this is an amaro. So yeah. similar Sicilia. process. What a beautiful, beautiful, amazing packaging. Yep. Um Some mandarin base, some mandarin peel, plus all those sort of bittering herbs and that that you sort of see in these aromatized wines. Higher alcohol, usually a bit more sort of spirit, less less whiny, more sort of more full, a little bit richer, much much punchier. So this is more like something you'd have at the end of the meal. Yes. Oh, yep. smell that. Amaro's and Amaro's are much more bitter. Oranges so think and Fernet Branca. Mm. Yeah. So and like Sicily and citrus, and that's why he does it. And he's got, I think he's got, you know, citrus groves and orange. And, but the mandarin and the – so there's a lemon version of this as well. Oh, you could put that the lemon so, version. Yeah, so put, there's a wow. lemon one and then there's this mandarin. You but could I, use I like this on a crepes suzette or something. I just think of nice probably little, got enough alcohol to flambe, I don't know. A nice I don't know little whether glass you could. at it the um, end, of, end of a meal, I think, is the answer. But we could try it. I could end throw a meal. match in 100%. here now. 100%. I love Amaro, but that is really, really nice. Good, huh? Who knew that Etna – with its volcano, was making all these fabulous, interesting... Yeah. Right have, near the beautiful township of Taumina. Yeah. Have you been there? I haven't. I really want to go. Yeah. It's, it's it, sort of one of those. And from a wine, it's a pretty... If you have a, if you ever Google some images and stuff, it's a pretty striking sort of wine region with these bush vines and growing on the hills of Etna. It's quite high. The, the, the wines from there, particularly the reds, are very... 
it's such an interesting combination. They're kind of light and fresh and bright like Pinot, but they have this little tannin sort of bite to it. And it's beautiful. They're really it's a, interesting wines. It's a beautiful countryside around mm. Edna, and it's obviously volcanic rock. Yeah. It just is fantastic for fertile soil. We know that from the Western industry here in Victoria, which thousands of years ago had its own volcanoes. Yeah, that's right. But um, the freeway or the highway goes right past, like right at the bottom of Etna. Oh, right. <laughs> so How when, amazing. So when, you, when, you think of, when you think of it bubbling <laughs> along, wow, it wouldn't take, it wouldn't take much to, to take out half of Sicily, I reckon. Yeah. And can wow. you remember what this one's going to this, set this, spec I think this is 75. This is a bit more expensive. And, but you only need a tiny bit, obviously. That's right, 30 mils at the end of a meal or 60 yourself. if you wanted. Oh, I, I think they're both lovely. That, that um, they're vermouth, both really. Though, the vermouth is fabulous. Yeah. So we, uh, so does she does a white, the red, and and a and a dry. So all the, the three, which are the three sort of standard oh, styles that you wow. see. Wow. And I love the name miles of the citron. Citron. It's a great name. And the label's it? awesome. The label's fabulous. Kind of like um, retro sort of. It's great for winter too. This is a real winter drink. They're both. Yeah. So I thought I'd bring in the Amara because I mean the vermouth's great. Uh, I mean I'll. I drink vermouth in winter too, but I thought the Amara is a nice winter thing. It's got a bit more punch yep. and weight. And and the lemony one, I'm sure, would be fabulous as well. It's really good. The I just like that, I like that little depth of that, that mandarin that it sort of gives it. Yep. No, so, no, ma- no, so Miles, if potties want to Im- imbibe in these two beautiful drinks, how do they do it? So they just got to go to the website and on the front page there, there's a Don't Shoot the Messenger link and you can go through and then uh, 10% off when you put in the code S. At checkout. Which, as I say each week, is what you'll be when you drink a bottle of each of these. That's right. <laughs> um, Hopefully not Prince an entire Wine, bottle. Princewinestore.com.au. Miles, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. We'll have to think about next week. Yeah. Now we've done winter warmers. Yeah. Wow. We never seem to run out of topics, do we, from that wonderful <laughs> treasure trove, the Prince oh, Wine Store. There's lots going on there. There's always something new, that's All for right, sure. All right, well, we'll come up with something for next week. And, Miles, thanks so much for dropping in with those two lovely bottles. Uh, I'm pleasure. just going to take them home now with me. Thank you. <laughs> I have to take them back to the bar. Yep. <laughs> Completely. Thanks, Miles. Thank you. And, Caro, now after having had a drink with Miles, we're going on to BSF Books, Screen and Food. And I'm going to kick it off with a book I think that you would enjoy. It looks amazing. This is the true story of the sister of um, Christian Dior, the famous fashion designer. It is called Miss Dior and it is by Justine Picardi, who is a London-based fashion journalist and author of several books. And this is the story of Catherine, who was the much younger sister of Christian Dior. For people who are thinking, mm, Christian Dior rings a bell, have you ever heard of the new look, everyone? I want you to just imagine, I can only think of somebody of the shape of Audrey Hepburn with a very tight torso top of the dress. And then at the hips, it goes right out almost into a big A-line. In 1947, this new style dress called the the new look hit the London and Paris fashion scenes because everybody of course over there was coming out of World War II and so desperate for something that was feminine and a bit frivolous. These were beautiful dresses. Christian Dior was a young French fashion designer who all of a sudden was uh, fame and fortune was his after designing and creating this beautiful look. His sister Catherine had had a really tough time during the war. While Christian Dior was working in his salon, she became a member of the resistance in Paris. She was arrested in July 1944 by the Germans. She was brutally tortured 
And there's a bit of quite a bit of that in this wonderful book. And she was deported, Kara, to Ravensbrook concentration camp, which was where most mostly women were sent. A terrible place. She survived, thankfully, and went back to Paris in May 1945. She escaped death by, I mean, that again is an interesting story, part of this. But she was so emaciated, she was so thin and so uh, in shock, her brother didn't recognise her when he first saw her. She couldn't, um, she couldn't eat the dinner that he'd cooked for her. It, was, it really brought them close together. And because their parents and grandparents had had uh, orchards and flower farms and so on, she went to live in the country and she started growing roses and she became a rose grower. And she is responsible for Miss Dior. Perfume. Correct. It was her roses that did it. It's a really lovely brother and sister story. And so often he is the hero of a lot of uh, French fashion stories. In this case, it's Catherine's story. I really recommend it. It's it's beautifully written, a bit flowery at times, pardon the pun because it's a book about rose growing, but, but that's Justine's way of writing. I really enjoyed it. It's a great winter escape. Um, I must say, after Christian Dior died rather somewhat prematurely, actually, I think he was only in his 40s, Catherine Dior lived on, uh, he died in 1957, and she became the honorary president of the Christian Dior Museum, and she died in 2008 at the age of 90. So, Wow, I didn't realise she'd lived so much longer than her brother. Yeah, and she really kept the flame alive and did a lot for the brand, I would suggest. So if you love fashion, if you love a good biography, this is the one. Has it got pictures? Yes, it has got pictures. Lots of pictures. I mean, you know, it's nice to have the odd snap, isn't it? Just especially of the dresses. Oh, Corey, that's a good one. I've never heard of that. Did you come up, come upon that in a bookshop in Ballarat? No, I didn't. No, this was sent to me a few months ago. This actually came out at the end of last year, but it had been sitting on the bookshelf and I thought, well, if I'm going to Ballarat, I will take it in my handbag. And I did. And I enjoyed it. Now, Kara, on to screen, I have seen Elvis, but I want to hear first of all what you have seen. Oh, well, look, I, I should have gone to see Elvis, but again, Corrie, when I went to see it on Sunday, it, the cinema was booked out because, you know, as we know, everybody's out and about. So I went and saw a wonderful French film, which received four and a half stars the same weekend that um, Elvis did, certainly in the reviews I read, called Lost Illusions. This is a fabulous film. It swept the pool at the um, Césars, are they? The French, Césars, yes. French Film Awards. It is based on a 19th century novel by Balzac, but it's a modern story. It's a story of um, a young provincial poet who goes to live in Paris trying to sell his poems. He goes with his very, or he goes with his mistress, who is um, a wealthy woman, um, a patron of the arts, married to a much older man, and who is, um, you know, an up a member of society, which he is not. And it's basically the story of corruption, lost illusions. Um, the acting is absolutely flawless. Cecile de France, who is absolutely beautiful, is wonderful in it. And the young Benjamin Voisin, who is um, in a few, I think they made this in 2019 and he was very young. Gerard Depardieu gets a gig. Oh. It's it's basically Sorry, about... It's, it's not a French film, either he or Catherine Deneuve. It, it's about influences. It's a, it's, oh, wow. It's about the media and it's about PR and the way it went down in the very, very corrupt city of Paris in the 19th century. And it's about how a young idealistic man who comes from very humble beginnings and 
a bit of a tragic background, a father he loathed and a mother who had um, was more up and about in society and whose name he's trying to adopt, not his father's, um, and about how he becomes corrupted. It's about how theatre reviews, um, food reviews, um, acting performances, books, literary reviews are corrupted and sold to the highest bidder for a good review. And um, Gerard Depardieu plays a fairly um, nasty, but not as nasty as some of the characters, um, newspaper editor. Is, has he lost a bit of weight? No, not in this film. Okay. Not in 2019. It Look, it is, um, although um, my mother and sister and aunt went the other day to see... Um, Oh, what's the name? He's a French detective, and it's another movie on at the Como Cinema at the moment. It all not, not Poirot. No, no, but the the French Poirot, Ma- Magret. Magret, yeah, yeah, Magret. Yeah, he plays Magret, and I think he has lost a bit of weight for that for that one. Rowan Atkinson, of course, is in um, the TV version. This is a a very a fascinating film. It's quite long. Could probably use a 10, 15 minute edit. But I sat there fascinated by the whole thing, by the performances, by Paris in the nineteen hundreds, by the corruption. And um, it's sort of, it's the monarchists, the royalists, I should say, versus the so-called republicans, but about how no one really believes in anything. It's all sold to the highest bidder. It's a very good statement on life today. And um, and nice costumes. Oh, incredible. Incredible. And um, it also it, about the Parisian theatre scene at the time. So I would give Lost Illusions every one of those four and a half stars that I think David Stratton gave it. And it's a wonderful, wonderful film. So um, that's my recommendation. But I want to hear about Baz Luhrmann. Is it as good as people are saying? Yeah, well, I'm really tempted to wait and have this conversation with you when you've seen it. But I, I can't resist because it's everywhere and deservedly so, receiving fabulous praise universally. Some people have uh, been quite critical. Some critics <coughs> have been uh, have have alluded to the fact that uh, it is too long. That Baz has lost his way a bit. What started off as quite focused about the drive of Elvis Presley, which is so interesting in itself. I'll talk about that in a second. It becomes too much the story of Colonel Tom Parker, who was his Svengali, if you like, his manager for many years. Turned out after Elvis's death to be a complete phony. He'd never been in the army. He was from Holland. The reason he never encouraged Elvis to, to tour overseas, which Elvis never did, was because Colonel Tom was too afraid of losing control. He knew he couldn't leave the country because he wouldn't be allowed to come back in because he didn't have a passport. So all of that is is, is all those interesting. ridiculous films he made him make. Oh. I mean, maybe one or two, but seriously, it's such a pity that it is, he wasted it is, talent. It's so incredible. But I think at the heart of this movie, there are two things that work for me. One is the amazing, amazing performance uh, by um, Austin Butler, who plays Elvis Presley. He is he is a profoundly important talent. He is not just a one-trick pony. This is not just the one movie that will make him. He will go on and do amazing work. The second part of it, Carol, is this this sort of setup at the beginning, which I really love the way Baz Luhrmann, who's, who co-wrote the script, has taken this story. Uh, Elvis Presley was from a poor white family living in a black ghetto area. And 
he was deeply influenced. His, fr- his friends were African-Americans. He was deeply influenced by their culture. And there's this amazing scene of him hearing one day somebody playing the blues in a shed. And then beyond the shed is the black, I presume, ba- Baptist church. And he can hear this amazing gospel music. And he wanders down to the church, finds himself inside it. And there's the clapping, the humming, the thanking the Lord, the amazing female voices. And he just finds himself completely uplifted and his body starts gyrating. And that's the famous gyration. So when he then performs in a carnival atmosphere with his guitar playing this kind of music and he starts gyrating on stage, it's it's him channeling black blues music. And that's what the authorities in 1950s conservative America cannot stand. They cannot abide the fact that, of course, the teenage girls are going nuts for this. The boys think he's a sissy, but but they love his music. But the authorities are so determined to shut him down. And there are a couple of great scenes where this becomes a bit of a climax. So that part of the story was great for me because like you... When we were growing up, Elvis was in his twilight years, and we just remember him as, well, I, I grew up with watching those- The movies. Vegas shows yeah. and, <laughs> and Aloha I, from Hawaii. Yeah. But that, that was a great concert. But that movie, um, Viva Las Vegas, which I still love with Anne-Margaret, but we, I grew up on a diet of those on Saturday afternoon television. Those movies would be replayed. And yes, the, the Hawaiian special and- Elvis being overweight and sweaty and still had that fantastic, amazing voice. But to see this film, it gave me a whole new appreciation of how brave he was, how ambitious in a good way he was. He wanted to really pull his mum and dad, mum an alcoholic, dad a hopeless businessman who'd been jailed for a brief time, pull them out of the ghetto, put them into Graceland, had all his cousins, you know, very generous with all that sort of thing, deeply in love with Priscilla Presley. Now, no wonder she's given the thumbs up to Baz Luhrmann's film because she comes out of this film very well. But it's just such an interesting story. She's played story. by an Aussie actress, isn't she? An Aussie actor. Um, she's played by um, Olivia de Jong is her name. Richard Roxburgh played, superbly plays uh, Elvis's father, who is a real no-hoper and very weak um, and has no courage standing up to Colonel Tom Parker in the latter years when Elvis is hitting the pills and the booze. But the Colonel Tom Parker story is is sort of interesting, and I'll, I'll just let that sit there for a moment. Suffice to say that Tom Hanks gives it his all, lots of prosthetics around the chin and the jowls and the tummy and all of that sort of stuff. There's still a bit of the Forrest Gump inside there, though. (laughs) It's hard to not, you know, and it's hard to look at Tom Hanks as a bad guy because Colonel Tom Parker in this film does not come off well at all, and he is the centre of the story. He he is the storyteller. He's the device. Yeah, he sees him early on and yeah, sees the yep, dollar sees signs. Yeah, and that's all he's interested in. But it needs a bit of an edit. I would suggest, you know, like your film, you probably need to cut ten or fifteen or twenty minutes. But having said that, the the costumes of Baz Luhrmann's wife, uh, Catherine Martin, are amazing. The music. Uh, is just fantastic the way Elliot Wheeler, who's an Australian, remember when you and I went and saw Moulin Rouge and there's that great scene where they sing Roxanne by the yep. police in that slow Spanish tango kind of style and you and I just looked at each other in the theatre and went, oh, my God, what a, an amazing way, an amazing twist on a classic. 
Well, that happens a lot. And I think full full credit to Elliot Wheeler, who was in charge of the music. Really good film, probably one of the best films I'll see this year. And that's Elvis. And can we hear your view next time you, you know, hopefully next week or whenever we see you next No, I'm, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing it. I mean, there's so many good films on at the moment. I think we should all get back to the cinema. Yeah. So, Caro, on to recipes. have to say I'm not a huge fan of Brussels sprouts, although I have you know our friend and slave, Joe. She put me onto this a couple of years ago. You'd peel the little leaves off a raw Brussels sprout, stick it in the oven with some oil on it and toast them up and then put them on top of a salad. Oh, yum. I think they're fabulous vegetables and I hated them as a child like everyone else. But, of course, none of our parents knew how to – our mothers knew really how to cook them except to boil the Christ out of them and, oh, yuck. And serve them grey. However, this is from um, Alice Zaslavsky's book, um, that wonderful book in praise of veg, A Modern Kitchen Companion. It's a great book. I've inherited it from um, previously mentioned, aforementioned son and partner who are moving overseas and have left me a couple of their cookbooks. So I thought I'd have a crack at the Brussels sprouts last week, not really because beans were so expensive and iceberg lettuces are $12, but... Because it looks so yummy, Corrie. So this is so easy. You actually marinate the Brussels sprouts. And I did it for actually an hour or two before I put them in the oven. Do you cut them in half? You cut them in half and trim the bottom bit off. And you marinate them in a mixture of light soy, honey, caraway seeds, garlic. Um, I think there's a bit of peanut oil in there too. This is an absolutely delicious recipe. And after you've... It's in a a reasonable amount of marinade. The other trick to this recipe is you cook them for 10 minutes in a really, really, really hot oven. Um, I think about 220. And you actually heat up the pan in the oven. You take it out once the the oven's got to its required heat. It's best to lay baking paper down. I mean, if you want them super crunchy, don't. But if you want a lot of cleaning up afterwards, do, don't use the baking paper, I should say. And remember to crunch up your baking paper. Well, I did Crunch up and wetten. Well, no, I, I just took, took the really, really, really hot tray out of the oven, quickly laid down the baking paper, and you lay the Brussels sprouts sort of cut side down in the marinade, in the oven, 10 minutes That's all it needs. Take them out and chuck them in a serving dish and top them with, I think it's um, a couple of tablespoons of peanut oil, a bit of chopped red chilli, that's optional, and chopped roasted peanuts. Oh, yum. It is absolutely delicious. It's a meal in itself and it's a great side. And I think I used about, I think they say about a kilo of Brussels sprouts serves four people if you're using it as a main dish. But I did um, a little bit more than that and um, served a few extra people and it was delicious. And they were great the next day. And we're serving it with what sort of protein? Well, I served it with Ossobuco <laughs> yet again. But, I mean, that'd be brilliant with a roast. I mean, with a roast mm. chicken, that'd be absolutely fantastic. Oh, yeah, I like that recipe. They'd also be really good with, um, you know, a, a solid sort of fish or they'd be really good with any sort of um, – I mean, they'd be great with steak. And where did you find this recipe? In, in Alice's, Alice's book. book, which is a wonderful book. And it's not all vegetarian, even though it's called In Praise of Vegetables. It work, It tells you how to serve vegetables with meat as well, which is why I liked it, because I'm not a vegetarian. I'd be happy vegetarians would love it. But, um, yeah, her name is Alice Zaslavsky, and she's wonderful. She used to be on MasterChef. 
some great years recipes and years ago. In that. Well, that is a great recipe, and that was our little BSF segment. Thank you, Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Isn't it time you called Red Energy on one three one eight zero six? Corrie, you're grumpy. I am grumpy. I am grumpy. I am grumpy with people who go to musicals or concerts or movies with music and they are absolutely determined to hum, sing, whistle <laughs> or tap the music while they're watching. In a, that's fair enough. Oh, come off it. In the Elvis movie, did this happen? Yes, it, at Ballarat Regent, Regent Theatre, is it, Janie? Yes, Regent Theatre in Lydiard Street, Ballarat. There I was in the morning session of Elvis. There were seven, eight, maybe nine of us in the theatre, all spread out a fair way from one another. All of a sudden, I hear, well, I can't help <laughs> falling in love with I you. Imagine, and, I, and I look I around and, 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 this, and this lady who is in another row, about 10 seats along, is singing. When we got to Unchained Melody, I thought, I'm going to have to get up and say something. I remember going to a Bach concert years and years ago at the old congregational church in the city here. And uh, I sat next to a chap who insisted on conducting... <laughs> on his knee, so his little finger was wagging. And then at some point he started humming. It's not easy to hum, Bach, because there are a lot of parts. And he started humming the tune. Uh, at what point do you say to somebody, maybe this is for Carol and Corey, maybe this is a dilemma for us, oh. but at what point do you say to the person sitting next to you, would you mind not conducting because you're actually just slightly off the beat? Well, well, yeah, it's not as bad as people talking behind you as happened to me. In the Balzac film, Lost Illusions. That and happened to you. You became irate about that when you and I went and saw a when film When we recently. went and saw Downton Abbey. I had to you're getting a bit intolerant in oh, your old no, age. No, I mean, if you're talking during a film, I'm sorry, that's really irritating. And the new ad, you know how there's always an ad about mobile phones? Um, yes. The, of, the one they're running at the moment at Palace Cinemas is um, a scene out of The Breakfast Club where Molly Ringwald looks at two of the blokes um, Judd, um, what's his name? Nelson. Nelson. And I um, can't remember the other one. And says, shut up. Shut up. And anyway, 10 minutes into the film, this incredibly poignant scene at a you know, French sort of chateau love scene between the two of the main characters. In the 19th century. The <laughs> loudest mobile phone starts ringing in front of me and took about 30 seconds to turn off. So frustrating. Anyway... I sort of feel your pain, but I can imagine how tempting it would be oh, to sing along to Elvis. Yeah, I was pretty furious about that. So, Corrie, we'll launch into six quick questions for Red Energy. What is this week's must-watch doco? Halftime with Jennifer Lopez. Have you heard about this? No. Okay, so it premiered on Netflix a couple of weeks ago, and I caught it on the weekend with Will and Lib. Lib has watched it now. This is the second time she's watched it, and as she said, it's just a really fabulous piece of uh life drama and incredible um, editing too, amazing editing. But it's the, the sort of the life and career of Jennifer Lopez. At 52, she's looking back on her life. And this was made the year that she was, uh, was a hot favourite to win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress. And she wasn't even nominated, even though she won the Golden Globe. I think the film was called Hustler from memory. And, uh, and, so the, And there's this incredible sort of climax thing where she is, I think the two days or three days before the Academy Award nominations come out in January, she's then to appear on the Super Bowl with um, 
her very good friend um, gone out of my head, Shakira. And so the two of them uh, do this incredible performance, J-Lo knowing that she she still feels unaccepted. She's still still the Latina. She's still the Jenny, Jenny from the block. And she still hasn't been recognised publicly by her peers. And there she is doing this mind-blowing performance with, I'm not sure how old Shakira is, but she'd be at least 10, 15 years younger than J-Lo. And J-Lo just knocks her off the stage with style and substance. But it's a really interesting um, doco, Caro, and it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival on June the 8th. And I just think that everybody should have a look at it. It's really compelling. My question to you, from J-Lo to Jordan, why did Jordan <laughs> DeGoe's story drag on for so long last week? Well, it's actually still dragging on. Oh, no, is it? 10 or 11 days in. I, I think because several reasons, but mainly because Jordan DeGoe himself hasn't accepted really responsibility for the trouble he's caused and what he's done. He He's now completely shattered. I mean, his mood keeps changing. We hear he's disappointed in the club's behaviour to him. They've pulled his contract offer. Um, of course, he went to Bali, got involved in a video that some people didn't find offensive. But women, certainly, I mean, and, and men at the Collingwood Football Club felt it was insulting to women and a fairly grubby... Have you seen the video? Yep. What does he do? Oh, well, he, he, he half takes, removes... It, a woman's top is half removed. The woman herself doesn't really mind, although she pulls her top back on before her breast is exposed. And there's a tongue action that basically symbolises a form of sex. And it's just, it's grubby that Jordan does. And, you know, like Brendan Favola, as someone said to me, it wasn't one big thing with Brendan when Carlton sacked him. It was a lot of little things. And given his history, his history with women, his history with behaving badly overseas, it's just extraordinary that he's done it again. Anyway, it's dragged on because... As of you and I speaking, which is um, Tuesday morning, he still hasn't returned to the club. He may return today. He may not. They couldn't say. And um, even though they've put out statements, they've said he's going to speak, he's only done a manufactured Q&A with the club with their new media boss, Nadine Rabar, who's come into this storm. And um, I think been pretty tough. I think the previous media boss, Steve Riley, was pretty determined that he should go last year. He's still there. And I think when players don't accept responsibility and they don't put all the bad stuff out in one, like they did with Bailey Smith from the Bulldogs a few week ago, weeks ago with the cocaine, I think it was cocaine or some illicit substance, then it's going to drag on. Talking about men behaving badly, how was the Eddie Maguire, Neil Mitchell stoush over the Jordan Ngoi story last week? Did you happen to listen to yeah, 3 I was, w that I was sort morning? of involved in that. I didn't agree with Eddie's original premise that Neil had disrespected oh, ADHD. What was the premise? Both of them had different premises and it was moving goalposts the whole time. It was just amazing radio, amazing and um, uncomfortable. I do agree with my original point, which people didn't like, but it... I'm not saying he doesn't have ADHD, and that's a, that can be a very serious mental affl- affliction. But I don't think he should have, in his apology, sort of revealed he's got, you know, a mental health problem when you've, I think, disrespected women. I just don't think he sh- it looked like an excuse. He later denied it was an excuse. So why mention it at the time? Mm, they're wrong, two, two separate stories. Wrong people around mm. him. So um, what's annoying you, Corrie, more than the price of iceberg lettuces? The price of ginger at the Ballarat Woolworths, $50 a kilo. So I bought a, I bought a nub 
Do you call it a nub or a nut? I'm I call sure. it a knob. I think it's a nub. I don't oh, know. okay. Could we? Could somebody please tell us? It's a knob of ginger. Jeff Slattery will be listening to that. I thought it was a nub. K N O B. Okay, the knob. <laughs> ginger. <laughs> it was seven dollars something. Yeah, well, put it in the freezer and use it sparingly. What can I say? Caro, which former Australian sports champion impressed you this week? Kieran Perkins, now head of Sport Australia, so head of the Sports Commission, I guess, Australian Sports Commission. Um, His incredibly sensible and compassionate attitude to transgender athletes and this dreadful, you know, this dreadful dilemma that is paralysing all sports. I thought it was so impressive. I thought it was really, really impressive. I thought the way he turned the debate from this paranoia about this tiny number of swimmers, in this case, who were going to apparently make it difficult for women who aren't transgender to win events, which is just bunkum, and take it back to young transgender kids growing up and wanting to um, take part in community sport was just wonderful. I was very impressed by Karen Perkins. Oh, Corrie, not Bluey again. What's this week's Bluey fact? Well, it follows on from last week because Joe, our friend, heard me talking about it and us talking about it on the podcast and she texted in to say, did you know this Bluey fact in the new series, Sparky, who is a mastiff with brown fur, dark brown eyebrows and ears and a grey nose, he's he's a tradie and he has lots of you know tools and hammers and things in his tool belt and he wears clothes which include a yellow shirt and dark yellow shorts sometimes there's black so maybe he barracks for Richmond I don't know who Sparky barracks for but the voice is Mick Malloy's oh. and as Joe oh. said as Joe said have a look for the bum crack so there we were the kids and I on the weekend watching the new again the new series of another one in the new series of Bluey and up comes tradies. And I went, ha ha. Well, sure enough, it's Mick Malloy doing a fine job as Sparky. And there is the bum crack when he sits down to talk to Bluey on the footpath. Oh, well, is that Mick Malloy's voice in one of those um, gambling ads too? That rather aggressive, it sounds a bit like him, but I don't want to speak if it's not him. I'm not saying he shouldn't be doing it. I don't it, know. But... Oh, Corrie, that is interesting. So there you go. So what's... This week's amazing fact from you. Look, Jim's Greek Tavern, where, again, you know, <laughs> as you know, I was out and about in Melbourne. The, have you been to Jim's Greek Tavern lately? Oh, not lately. Probably not since about 1987, I reckon. Well, uh, right back at your girlfriend. I had not been near the joint for many, many years. The kids go there all the time because it's just, you can always get a table. It's obviously incredibly reasonable. Corrie, this place has been going... For 42 years. It's into its 43rd year. Not many restaurants last 43 years in Melbourne. Oh, the didgeridoo in Morris, I think, would have beaten that. It's in Collingwood. It's completely BYO. Like, you, they don't even sell beer. So you bring everything along and they don't charge corkage. That doesn't happen very often either, does it, at big Melbourne institutions. It is so reasonable. We walked in on Sunday night for a farewell family dinner. Corrie... It was packed. It was chockers blockers. And there were, you know how it used to be one sort of big back room and a small front room? There's side bits. There's <laughs> it's back four bits. levels. <laughs> it's, no, well, it's not, it's not in levels, but it, Johnson Street, Collingwood. Oh, and the other amazing thing was there were tables and tables of blokes' dinners. 
I mean, just blokes. Go, I know Collingwood had just been playing at the MCG. Do you remember Vlados used to be that? The yes. Blo- the blokes restaurant because they could all go there and have a big steak because oh. they were big men. And the, the entree was and liver they and... drank big wine. The entree was liver and sausage and the pudding was... Um, <laughs> was it strawberry pancakes? I reckon it was. <laughs> I think it's still going. I think it's still going, Vlado. So the last time I went there was with my friend, the late, great Jeff McClure. Anyway, Corrie, it's basically this massive banquet, as you know. The food just comes. It starts, you know, with the dips and the olives and stuff and then the saganaki and, oh, there's so much food. And then just when you think, oh, they're obviously, we've ordered no meat this time because we've had so much seafood and prawns and Oh, it, it just – and the Greek salads and these amazing vegetable dishes. Then comes out, the, you know, the big shebang, the big meat tray with beautiful shredded roast chicken, lamb, kebabs, meatballs. It, it's – I think it's $60 a head with – you cannot – you cannot eat all the food. My my my. They late, packed up the pudding, the halva for us, and we took it home. <laughs> and the baklava in packets. My in my late my late great stepfather, you remember Peter yes. Georges Paraskivas Georges. He used to say, "I wouldn't go near that place with a barge pole." <laughs> well, look, it's not your George Calambaris, all right, but it's good, simple food. The seafood was very good quality. The salads were wonderful. The Saganaki, well, look. So what's your fact? That this place is still still going. going. (laughs) Just in case people didn't know. There is a a place in Melbourne where you can. Are you sure you're now not on the payroll? Although we'd be really happy. We'd be so happy, Miss Chain, wouldn't we, to have. No, I I just didn't know. The tavern is out. I didn't know it was still exactly the same as it was in 1987. And it's been going since 1980. And you can BYO everything and it doesn't cost you anything. Oh, a fada stole. That sounds great. There you go, Corrie. Um, On that happy note, thank you to our show sponsors, Prince Wine Store and, of course, the wonderful gang at Red Energy. Where would Caro and I be without you? And, indeed, where would we be without the wonderful Jane Neal, Miss Jane, our producer? Janie has brought in beautiful hellebores from her garden today. Um, You know they don't last long without the water. I know they start to drop a bit. But, look, they look gorgeous, Jane. And, of course, thank you to everybody for listening. If you'd like to leave any messages, brickbats, all bouquets for Caro, myself, even Jane, whoever, Miles, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Just send us your email or you can drop us a line via the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account. Caro, great to see you again. Don't forget, everybody, our footy tips and also our bonus episode, Dear Caro and Cory, coming up. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. This podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, Prince Wine Store and the Bendigo Art Gallery, presenting Elvis direct from Graceland, created in partnership with Graceland. This Australian exclusive exhibition explores the life and style of Elvis Presley. On now until July 17, tickets from bendigoartgallery.com.au.